established. of the third kind. Welcome to Theories of the Third Kind. My name is Aaron, and I am one of your hosts today. There's another host that is joining me, Daniel Sun. Hey guys, what's up? Now real quick, before we start today's episode, I just want to say, that if you would like to support the show, then there's a few ways that you could do that. One of the ways is Patreon. Each week, we release a Patreon-exclusive episode that only Patreon supporters can get access to. To sign up, it's only $5 a month, which is only 16 cents a day. Not only do you get an extra episode per week for that $5, but you also get access to our entire back catalog of past Patreon episodes. In total, we have over 122 extra Patreon episodes which is a ton of extra hours. So to see this full list of Patreon episodes, you can go to our website, theoriesofthethirdkind.com, click on the Patreon Episodes tab, and there you will see an entire list of past Patreon-exclusive episodes that we have published. Also, today we added another Patreon-exclusive episode, which is Flat Earth, in which we go over the history of it, as well as all the experiments that have been done. So you get access to that episode, as well as all of the others, for just $5. Now, if you can't afford a Patreon membership, but you want to help us out, then you can leave us a written review on iTunes or on Spotify, and that helps us out a lot. However, don't feel pressured to leave us one. If you don't want to, then that's perfectly fine. We just want you guys, girls, aliens, reptilians, Bigfoot, Sasquatches, Chupacabras, ghosts, Illuminati members, underground lizard people, whoever or whatever you are, to enjoy the show. And that is the end of the announcements. So today's episode is over the Simpsons predictions. We've gotten so many requests for this episode and we figured this would be a great time for us to do it. So how this episode will go today is that we're going to start off talking about what is the Simpsons and when was it created, the predictions that are supposedly in it, and then we'll go into strange facts and findings, theories, and of course wrap it all up with our own personal thoughts and theories. So with that being said, let's get into today's episode. Since 1989, a seemingly innocent cartoon TV show has garnered over millions of viewers worldwide. However, over the past few years, individuals began to notice this cartoon's eerie ability to portray real-world events years before they came to pass. An episode that was aired in the year 2000 that showed Donald Trump as president of the United States. And they even dropped hints of the 9-11 Twin Tower attacks, four years before they happened. Are all these just coincidences? Or do the writers of the show have access to knowledge that is not commonly known? This is... The Simpsons Predictions. 
Now, before we get into those juicy predictions that have been made, we first need to understand when the Simpsons show was created. And to understand that, we need to talk about an individual named James L. Brooks. So, Dan, can you start that off for us and tell us a little bit about him? Absolutely. So, James L. Brooks is a prominent American director, producer, and screenwriter. In 1987, he was an executive producer working on an American television show called The Tracy Ullman Show. Now, as James was working on the show, an idea came to him. He thought to himself, what if we include small animated sketches before and after commercial breaks? One of the individuals that he contacted was a young man named Matt Groening. Now, Matt had previously released a comic strip named Life in Hell, in which James happened to come across and he really liked it, which is why he contacted Matt in the first place. So James told Matt, hey, Come to my office for a meeting, and I want you to pitch an idea for a series of animated shorts, in which Matt told him that he was interested and that he would come to the meeting prepared. So Matt decided to pitch his life work to James, which was the Life in Hell comic strips. Now, fast forward a little while later, as Matt was sitting in the lobby of James's office waiting for the pitch meeting, he suddenly realized that if he pitched the idea of his life's work to James and they took it, then they would own publication rights to his life work. So instead of doing that, Matt decided to change it up at the last minute. As he sat there in the lobby waiting to be called back for the meeting, Matt quickly got out his sketchbook and started formulating his version of a dysfunctional American family that was set in a fictional town called Springfield. He called the family The Simpsons, which consisted of a father named Homer, his wife named Marge, a younger son of his named Bart, and his two younger daughters named Lisa and Maggie. Matt then went into the meeting, pitched his idea, and James approved. On April 19, 1987, the Simpson family appeared as shorts on The Tracy Ullman Show. Following that, the popularity of the cartoons started growing. Less than two years later, Fox Broadcasting Company adapted The Simpsons into a half-hour-long cartoon series. And that right there is how the Simpsons cartoon was created. And since its debut in 1989, the show has had over 728 total episodes. Damn! Good lord. Now, The Simpsons is the longest-running American animated series, longest-running American sitcom, and the longest-running American scripted primetime television series. Now, since its release, it has skyrocketed in popularity and has pretty much become a household name. Eventually, in 2007, a feature-length film named The Simpsons Movie was released that ended up making over $527 million. The cartoon has also released numerous comic book series, video games, books, and over a billion dollars in merchandise. It has won dozens of awards, including 35 Primetime Emmy Awards, 34 Annie Awards, two Peabody Awards, and has been named the 20th Century's Best Television Series. So needless to say, many people are familiar with this iconic yellow animated family. Now when I say yellow, I mean that's their actual color, okay? If you've never seen Simpsons, just look them up. It's cartoon drawing and the family's yellow. Do you know why they're yellow? No, why are they yellow? They had someone sketch it up, and as they were going through it, 
they realized that if you're flipping through the channels, the color yellow caught your eye. So they created the family yellow? So they created the Simpsons yellow because it was catchy to the eye. When we start releasing our YouTube videos, we're going to put a skin tone of orange on us. I was about to say, if you say yellow. Oh, no, not orange. Uh, blue. Or- orange is Freemason. Okay, we'll go blue then. Blue? I'm blue. All right. Now, over the past few years, individuals have begun noticing something odd occurring when they watch this TV show. Specific scenarios that have been previously shown on older episodes of The Simpsons began coming true. Such as the 9-11 Twin Tower attacks, Donald Trump becoming president, and a lot more. And when we say a lot more, there are a ton now, because there are so many of these Notre Dame-like predictions coming true, this has made a lot of people question if the creator of The Simpsons is possibly a time traveler. However, before we get into that theory, let's first jump into the meat of today's episode and talk about the actual predictions themselves. So Dan, do you want to start it off for us and tell us about the first one that we have? This first example that we're going to talk about occurred on season 11, episode 17, which was titled Bart to the Future, that originally aired on March 19th, 2000. So the episode starts off with the Simpson family going to a picnic, then leaving that and driving back home. On their drive back, they decide to stop at an Indian casino. Now, the son of the family, Bart, he's not allowed inside of the casino because at the time he's only 10 years old. However, he still tries to sneak into the casino, but is caught by the guards, and they send him to the casino manager's office. Now, there in the office, the Native American manager of the casino shows up and kind of lectures Bart. He tells him, hey, I'm going to show you a vision of your future if you do not change your ways. In this vision... His sister Lisa has become the president of the United States and is trying to get the country out of financial trouble. Now, we have a really short clip of this vision that Bart has, and in it, Lisa is the president and explaining a few things. So we're going to take a quick listen to that right now. As you know, we've inherited quite a budget crunch from President Trump. How bad is it, Secretary Van Houten? Okay. So the girl talking, of course, is Lisa, and she's the president. And she said that she inherited quite a budget crunch from President Trump. Now, just to remind you real quick, this episode originally aired in March of 2000. This is 16 years before Trump became president. So we have to ask ourselves, is this an example of the TV show predicting the future? Or is it just a coincidence? Well, we decided to look into it, and this is what we found out. So as we were digging around, we found out that the team of writers look at current information and events to develop jokes off of. Well, back in 1999, one year prior to this episode airing, Trump actually went on national television and announced that he would run for president as part of the Reform Party. So it was likely the writers just going off of that information right there, which seems like the most likely case in this example. And just a little knowledge nugget to add to that, Dan. 1999 wasn't the first time Trump announced that he was going to run for president. He actually announced it back in 1988. But that time, he said he was going to run as a Republican. So, there you go. A little knowledge nugget to stick in your back pocket. 
but I agree. It just seemed like the writers were looking at uh, current events and then just writing jokes based off that. Now, I know before we started recording this, you mentioned the Trump on the escalator. Why don't you fill everybody in on what you found out about that? Now, something else that we wanted to bring up is that when we were researching this, a lot, and I mean a lot, of news sites were stating that in this episode, it showed Trump going down the escalator and waving at people. And of course, this exact scenario occurred in 2015, whenever he announced that he was running for president. So a ton of people were saying, hey, there's another example of the Simpsons predicting the truth. However, that is not the case. No, it's not. And I don't want to be a negative Nancy. I don't want to be portrayed as one of those people that's like coming inside here and shitting on everybody's theories, right? We look into this stuff and we find the facts and we present the truth to you. So I just want to keep that clear. There are some predictions in here that are very weird, all right? So the video clip that shows Trump riding down the escalator and waving at people is not from the year 2000 episode that's titled Bart to the Future. Now, this clip was actually made by The Simpsons, and it was a parody of Trump's announcement for presidency, and they titled it Trump-tastic Voyage. It was actually a really short clip. It wasn't even a full episode. It was just a short clip, and The Simpsons actually posted it on their YouTube channel July 7, 2015, which was a full month after Trump already had made his announcement and did the whole ride down the golden escalator waving at people. So that was not a prediction. That's just people twisting it to make it look like it. And just like you said, there is a ton of news sites, even legitimate ones, CNN, Fox News, all of them stating that that scene came from that year 2000 episode, which is false. It is not true. All right. So tell us about this next supposed prediction, Dan. All right. So the next example that we're going to talk about occurred on season nine, episode one, which was titled The City of New York versus Homer Simpson which originally aired on September 21st, 1997. So in this episode, Lisa mentions how she wants to go to New York and she holds up a brochure that has $9 a day on the left-hand side of it. And then on the right side of the brochure, it has the Twin Towers. Of course, this makes the brochure book look like the number 911. 911. I mean, it is strange, you know, that they would put $9 and the Twin Towers would make it 911 and it say New York. And what's even weirder is this next one, Dan. All right. So the next example that we're going to talk about is not with one specific episode, but with multiple. So back in 1992, The Simpsons aired season three, episode 14, which was titled Lisa the Greek. Now in this episode, they predict the Washington Redskins, aka now the Washington Commanders, would win Super Bowl 26. Well, guess who won Super Bowl 26? The Washington Redskins. Now, that is pretty cool, right? However, some can just say, eh, the writers got lucky. But that might not be the case, though. Yeah, because that following year in 1993, the Simpsons decided to make another Super Bowl prediction. They claimed that the Dallas Cowboys would win Super Bowl 27. And guess what? The Dallas Cowboys did win Super Bowl 27. And you would think that they would stop there, but they didn't. In 1994, the Simpsons made another Super Bowl prediction. They claimed that the San Francisco 49ers will win Super Bowl 28. And guess what? The San Francisco 49ers did win Super Bowl 28. So the Simpsons were able to successfully predict the Super Bowl winners of 1992, 1993, and 1994. 
three years in a row. That is, in my opinion, very strange. They got hidden information about something being rigged. What? The NFL's rigged? Simpsons are exposed to the NFL. I mean, honestly, sometimes I think that. Hey, have you seen that new Netflix documentary over the NBA ref who supposedly fixed the games? I have not, but I remember you talking about that, what, yesterday or the day before? Man, I suggest everyone to go watch it. I truly think the NBA is corrupt, 100%. It wouldn't put it past me, to be honest. So there's something else that we wanted to mention when talking about this prediction is that there is a lot of websites and news stations that claim that the Simpsons also predicted the score of Super Bowl 51. You remember that Super Bowl, Dan, when the Patriots were getting their ass whooped by the Falcons and then the Patriots ended up coming back and beating the Falcons? I'll be completely honest. They were two teams I didn't really care for. I usually watch it, but I kind of just, it was like background noise to me. (laughs) All right, yeah, so just like I said, Falcons were whooping the Patriots' ass, I mean, pretty bad, and then the Patriots came all the way back and beat the Falcons at the end. Now, if you go online and search Simpsons Super Bowl 51, you will see an image of Bill Belichick, who's the head coach of the Patriots, and above him will be a scoreboard, and that scoreboard reflects exactly what the score was for Super Bowl 51. And by the way, this Bill Belichick is a Simpsons character. He's yellow and all that, and it looks animated. Okay. Yeah. And like I said, there is a lot of news sites and stations and individuals who will point to this image as another example of the Simpsons predicting the future. However, that is not the case here. So we decided to do some digging into this. We found that back on season 28 of The Simpsons, there was an episode titled Boston. In this episode, it showed the team called Boston Americans being beat by the team called Springfield Adams. Now, the coach of the Boston Americans looked very similar to Bill Belichick, the head coach of the Patriots. So fast forward a few months after that episode airs and the Super Bowl happens and the Falcons end up getting beat by the Patriots. Well, the executive producer for The Simpsons at the time, Al Jean, thought it would be a great idea to re-release that episode from a few months earlier but changed the score to reflect the Patriots and the Falcons, which had just happened. And that is what occurred. It was not a prediction, just them changing the frame of that shot as sort of a troll move to mess with people. Yeah, and people took that image and started to say, hey, the Simpsons are predicting it again, but that's, that's not the case. Just like with Donald Trump going on that escalator, it was just them trolling. It's like they knew that people thought that they were predicting the future and they were just like, you know, we're going to throw out some little bait here and there just to see if they bite. All right. So let's talk about this next example, which occurred on season 10, episode five, which was titled When You Dish, yes, Dish, D-I-S-H, Upon a Star. And this originally aired on November 8, 1998. So at the end of this episode, It shows a giant sign near the road that shows the 20th Century Fox logo on it. And just an FYI, 20th Century Fox is a film production studio, okay? So they make all the films. When you go see a movie and you see the 20th Century Fox and then the lights, spotlights go back and forth. Oh, yeah. They make films. So under this logo of 20th Century Fox is a line that says, a division of Walt Disney Co. So company. Which is very odd because at the time, Walt Disney Company was a rival to 20th Century Fox. 
they were both making movies competing with each other. And we actually have a, I guess, a screenshot of that frame there. So we'll have that up for y'all to look at it, where you can see the big sign that says 20th Century Fox and underneath of it in black letters, a division of Walt Disney Co. Yeah, and you can just go to our website, theoriesofthethirdkind.com, click on references, scroll all the way down, and, and this image will be right there for you to look at. Now, what makes this entire thing strange is that 19 years later, in December of 2017, Disney actually announced that they planned on acquiring 21st Century Fox. By the way, I know what you're thinking. 20th Century Fox is not 21st Century Fox. They changed their name because they're in the 21st century, right? Yeah. Got to go with the times. Yeah. So in 2017, Disney announced that, hey, we're going to acquire 21st Century Fox for $52 billion and that they would become a part of the Walt Disney Company, which is very odd. And just a little FYI, I just want to make this clear. The deal finally went through in June of 2018. They had like some issues and they had to sign a amended agreement. Uh, which it stated that the Walt Disney Company would acquire 21st Century Fox for not $52 billion, but $85 billion. That's a lot of cheese. That is a lot of cheese. So, did the writers really predict the future? The Walt Disney Company purchasing 21st Century Fox 19 years before it happened? Well, to figure this out, we decided to do some more sleuthing. We dug around in some old newspapers and started reading about companies between the years 1994 and 1998, and this is what we found out. So in 1998, the Walt Disney Company was one of the biggest and most well-known companies in the world, and they were growing extremely fast. For an example, if you look at their 1998 second quarter financial reviews, which we did, they reported that they had a 21.5% rise in their profits that quarter. That's a lot, actually. Yeah, they had an enormous amount of attendance at their theme parks and resorts. So yeah, they were booming at that time. Now, back in 1994, 20th Century Fox had opened up an animation studio where they could develop more family-friendly movies to compete with Disney. Well, in 1998, that studio would start to face financial problems and Fox had to lay off 300 of the 380 people who worked there at the animation studio. That sucks. Yeah, it does. And that right there tells us that the writers of The Simpsons knew that Fox was having some financial problems and that their competition, aka Walt Disney Company, would likely end up buying them out. So, sort of like the Donald Trump one when he announced his presidency, it seemed like the writers were kind of doing something similar here, that they were just going off of current information that they had at the time. And they're just pretty much in tune with what's going on in the outside world is what it seems like, in my opinion, for this case. So if you watch The Simpsons, you can get the inside scoop, it seems. <laughs> the inside scoop, but also current events of what's going on in the world. True. So it's you like an animated news. Yeah, you don't even have to watch the news. You just watch them. Watch The Simpsons. All right, Dan, tell us about this next one. All right. So another example that we wanted to talk about occurred on Season 6, Episode 8, which was titled Lisa on Ice and was originally aired November 13th, 1994. Now, in this episode, a school bully named Dolph has a device that is a personal digital assistant, and it looks like a small phone. So Dolph takes this small device and tries to write on the screen of it, saying, beat up Martin. However, the handwriting recognition instead turns it into, eat up Martha. Ooh, eat up Martha. Oh, Martha's going to have fun. 
Now, a lot of people will say that The Simpsons predicted autocorrect in 1994, way before the smartphones were ever a thing. On the surface, it kind of does look that way, but just like everything else, we decided to dig into it, and we found a pretty reasonable explanation. So tell them about it, Dan. So in 1992, two years before this episode was released, Apple released a personal digital assistant device called the Apple Newton Message Pad. We have a picture of one of them that we will provide on our website if anyone wants to take a look at it. I've never seen one of these before in my life, have you? I've never seen one of those. I didn't even know they existed before we started doing this research. No. All right, anyways. So Apple released this message pad back in 1992. And guess what? It had handwriting recognition software on it. And you know what? It was super inaccurate. Now, this handwriting software being super inaccurate created a media frenzy in the tech world about, quote-unquote, how Apple's handwriting recognition software sucks. Now, all you got to do is fast-forward two years later, and the Simpsons decide to make a gag out of the entire situation on that Lisa on Ice episode. And it makes sense. Yeah. You know, here's a little knowledge nugget. I know we're going to talk about him a little bit later, Matt Groening, but I did read up that when the Apple Macintosh computer came out, that he actually was the one that wrote like the how-to guide to use that Apple Mac. So, I mean, him probably finding out this, they probably asked him if, if he wanted to write the manual for this or something. Yeah, and he was known in Hollywood and the tech world because he was a bigwig. He created Simpsons. Yeah. People looked at him as a genius. And, I mean, he was rich, too. He still is rich. I think he has like $500 million or something Yeah, I think his like net that. worth is $564 million. Jeez. And he's an Aquarius and... His stone is the amethyst. Oh, my God, Dan. What the hell? You stalker? I, I did a lot of research on him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That's crazy. All right, Dan. So let's move on to our next example. In my opinion, it is the weirdest one. Okay. So tell us about it. All right. So this one occurred on season six, episode 19, which was titled Lisa's Wedding. Now, this one was originally aired on March 19th, 1995. So in this episode, Lisa goes to a fortune teller that tells Lisa of her future. Her future consisted of her college sweetheart proposing to her, and Lisa was excited to share the news, so she decided to call her mom. So in that episode, it shows Lisa, in the year of 2010, calling her mom. Now this is where it gets weird, because the phone that she uses is similar to a rotary dial phone, you know, one of the older ones. However, it has a screen on it. And it shows her mom's face in real time. And they start talking to one another. So essentially, it was FaceTime. And this was way back in 1995 when FaceTime wasn't even a thing. Now, if that isn't weird enough, get this. You want to take a guess at what year Apple announced that it had developed the software FaceTime to allow people to see one another in real time while they talk? Give it to me, Dan. In 2010. Isn't that crazy? Lisa goes to the year 2010, uses FaceTime. When does Apple release FaceTime? 2010. Maybe, just maybe, Matt, just like you said, had connections with Apple. Maybe he was feeding them ideas. I mean, he could have been feeding them ideas because other than that, I don't see how he would have found out about this one, though. Like the message pad thing, I get it was like two years, something like that. This one, though, is a little further ahead, so I don't know. Yeah, way ahead. All right. So let's talk about our next example, 
which occurred on Season 10, Episode 2, which is titled The Wizard of Evergreen Terrace, that aired on September 20th, 1998. In one of the scenes, Homer decides to become an inventor. He is seen scribbling on the chalkboard. Now, when this episode aired, everyone sort of ignored what Homer was writing on the chalkboard. However, years later, it came out that what was actually written was a formula used to predict the mass of the Higgs boson particle. Yeah, so we do have a picture of that frame of the chalkboard and the formula for anyone that wants to go take a look at it. We'll have it up on our website. All right, so of course, in 2013, scientists did a $13 billion experiment and discovered proof of the Higgs boson particle. Now, the equation that Homer had written up on the board on that episode back in 1998 had matched the mass of this God particle, aka the Higgs particle. So a lot of people will say, oh, the Simpsons predicted the God particle, aka the Higgs boson. Of course, we decided to look into that as well, and this is what we found. So the idea of the Higgs boson was not created in 2013. That is the year the scientists were actually able to find proof of it. But you can go back to 1964, and Professor Peter Higgs and five other physicists are the ones who first predicted it. Also, what was written up on the board by Homer was a formula used to calculate the mass of a theoretical particle, which could have been given to the writers of the show by a physicist who was studying the particle, or the writers might have found a rough expression for a limit on the Higgs mass in a theory paper and just decided to use that. But to state that the Simpsons predicted the Higgs boson, in my opinion, would be incorrect. It was actually just the formula that calculated the mass of that particle that was correct, which the writers could have gotten that formula a number of different ways. So when people say, hey, they founded the Higgs boson years before. It's just coincidences that they bring it up. Yeah. All right, Dan, tell us about this next example, which is our last one, I think, that we're going to talk about. All right. So our last example that we're going to talk about occurred on season 17, episode four, which was titled Treehouse of Horror 16, that originally aired on November 6, 2005. Now, this episode was pretty normal for the most part. However, at the very end, something odd happens. So Chief Wiggum, who is the head of the Springfield Police Department, is shown dressed as Jared Fogle. Now, real quick, if you don't know who Jared Fogle is, he was a guy back in 1999 who was very overweight. He ended up eating nothing but Subway sandwiches and lost a ton of weight. This ended up getting a lot of publicity, and Jared pretty much became the face of Subway from the year of 2000 all the way up until 2015. So pretty much during that time period, if you turned on the TV and you saw a Subway commercial, you would likely see him on it. So he became pretty well known. Yeah, I don't like Subway no more. I absolutely hate Subway. I just want to make that clear. All right, so in the Simpsons episode, Chief Wiggum, who is the head police chief, is shown dressed up as Jared Fogle. The chief then says, and we quote, I'm Jared from the Subway commercials. I'm a little overweight and sexually ambiguous. Now, in 2005, no one really thought much of it. They were just kind of like laughed it off. However, uh, that quote would sort of be like an eerie prediction because in 2015, 10 years after that episode aired, 
Jared was arrested and sentenced to over 15 years in jail for child sex tourism and possession of child pornography. So I do have to say that one right there, that example is very odd. The Super Bowl one is very weird. The FaceTime one is very odd as well. Yeah. All the rest of them could be easily explainable. Yeah. Well, and the New York one is kind of like, eh, it's a little coincidence, but all the rest of them could be easily explainable. Yeah, and I want to say that the 9-11 one, though, there's actually multiple scenes and stuff. Yeah, some people say there's multiple scenes, like there's a, a painting that supposedly shows the Twin Towers falling to the ground, but to me personally, it didn't look like it. But we'll include that photograph as well if you want to look at it. Shows uh, two couples dancing and um, painting in the background is a tall building that's smoking, which they say that it might be the Twin Towers, which I don't know. It, it looks similar, but you can only see one tower in it, so yeah. I can't really say for certain. It is weird. Now, I know there are a ton more predictions that the Simpsons had made, and we're likely going to do a part two of this. I mean, the the show's still going on, so there could still be way more ahead of us that we don't even know that's going to come out. I just want to make this clear. With the examples that we gave today, it's not like we were purposely trying to debunk them. We looked into them. We wanted to know if they really were predicting the future, you know? I would say, like, right now with the predictions we have, we're 50-50. Yeah, I would say 50-50 is accurate, and being 50-50 and predicting the future is pretty damn good. So yeah, 50-50 on The Simpsons, I mean... Not bad. I mean, like we said, there's still a ton more you know, predictions that they have out there that we didn't uh, get to cover yet. But like Aaron said, they're more likely going to be a part two. Yep. All right, so now we're going to get into the strange facts and findings that we uncovered while researching into this. So Dan, do you want to start us off and tell us about this first strange fact and finding? Of course. All right, before we get into that, let's take a quick break. We will be right back. All right, welcome back. So our first strange fact and finding is about the creator of The Simpsons, Matt Groening. Now, as we were sleuthing the interwebs for something juicy, we stumbled upon an article from 2019. Now, before we get into that real quick, we all remember that sick pedophile Jeffrey Epstein, right? Well, on August 11, 2019, the federal court released over 2,000 pages of documents from one of the victims named Virginia Dufresne. In that 2,000-page document, there was an unpublished manuscript that Virginia had written that was called The Billionaire's Playboy Club. Now, in this manuscript, Virginia described all of her real-life experiences that she had to deal with while with Epstein. One of those accounts happened on a flight to Los Angeles where Matt Groening was a guest on Epstein's private jet, the Lolita Express, which we do have Virginia's detailed version of what happened, and we're going to read just a part of it, though, right now. I was enjoying our conversation when Jeffrey insisted that I give Matt a foot massage throughout the duration of this short flight. I never turned down a client, but when I saw the shape of his feet, I nearly threw up at the thought of having to touch them. Matt had yellow, crusty toenails that even someone with a chainsaw would have had trouble cutting through. And then there was fluffy balls of leftover pieces of socks wedged between the crevices of his sweaty toes. Now that was the real icing on the cake for me. No way could I attempt this, I thought. Then I had an idea. I went to the back of the plane and rinsed a washcloth in warm, soapy water and returned for his dreaded foot massage. 
but not before attempting to clean them first. In return for my services, Matt was kind enough to draw me two quick sketches on blank paper from his briefcase of my two favorite characters, Homer and Bart. I asked if he would make them out to my little brother and dad, the true fans of the family, not missing an episode during dinner over the past 10 years or so. So yeah, that is the only part of her statement about Matt. The funniest part was that after that part, she actually was told him that he should probably consider going and getting a pedicure done before hitting the beaches of California. Oh, yeah, I take care of my feet. Same, same. A side note, though, Virginia did mention that this interaction with Matt took place back in like 2011, I believe. Yeah. All right. Uh, so there's something else that we wanted to mention is that um, a lot of people state that Matt was a Freemason. Now, before we get into that, we're going to take a quick break. It's our last one. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back. And Dan, you dug into this. Tell us what you found. Well, there are many videos on YouTube that show so many different clues that the creator of The Simpsons, Matt Groening, is a Freemason, which I found some images that we could look at that they used in the videos to show that he's showing off that he's a Freemason. So, Dan, tell us about this image where it shows Matt and a whole bunch of other clips from the show. All right. So in one of the images, it shows Matt like holding his glasses with like his thumb and index finger, which they said that is him showing off the eye of illumination. Okay. That's a Illuminati, isn't it? I don't freaking know. Well, in the video, they say that he's part of the Illuminati, which is actually just a front because they are actually the Freemasons. Oh, I thought on our Freemasons episode, we talked about how like when you become a 33rd Mason, they figure out which one of those they want to recruit to pull up to the Illuminati. Could be that. And we just spec, that's just speculation, people. Yeah, just, just in the video, though, he said the Illuminati is just a front, I believe. So you mean the Freemasons? No, Illuminati is a front. Freemasons is actually what controls the world. I thought it was the opposite way. That's what I thought. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And then the next image, it shows a store that says 33 cent store, which 33 would represent the 33rd degree of Freemasonry. Then, of course, there's the Bart Simpson holding up money with the New York 9-11 brochure again. And then the next one, it shows, uh, I forgot that old guy's name. Mr. Burns. Mr. Burns, yeah. It shows him holding up a $1 bill or whatever, and he's like looking through the eye of the pyramid, the all-seeing eye. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, those don't really say he's a Freemason. I mean, it's just symbolism a little bit, but... Yeah, a lot of symbolism. Then, of course, there's one about Curious George and the Ebola virus. They were just like, since he's a Freemason, he predicted that the Ebola virus thing happening, I guess. I'm like, eh. I guess it's them saying that, hey, he's part of this Freemasonry, this Illuminati, and they got access to certain information. Yeah, which, I mean, if y'all want to watch the video, we have a link for it, even though it uses the Daily Motion. I couldn't find it on YouTube anymore, which I found it on YouTube last night. Today, I can't find it now. I should have linked it. Oh, so they deleted it. So what does this video show? It's a guy that explains using these images and everything of how Matt Groening is a Freemason and all the signs that he puts in his episodes of it, which then he goes also, he's like, if you take the Simpsons, just Simpsons, and you put it in a numerology calculator, it comes up as 33. Oh, Jesus Christ. And then if you put orange, which is the color of the Freemasons, it comes up as 
33. Like he was just pretty much going off with this kind of tangent. Well, I can say that's all speculation, though. We don't have any definite proof that Matt is part of the Freemasons. So I just want everyone to keep that in mind. All right. uh, So we have one more strange fact and finding. Dan, tell us about this last strange fact and finding that you found. All right. Our next strange fact and finding is about President George H.W. Bush. So did you know that George H.W. Bush and the Simpsons pretty much had beef? Oh, shit. Is he going to fight Matt? I think he was about to throw hands, but they're just like, no, Mr. President, we can't have you doing that. Let us do it. (laughs) No, uh, it was back in 1992. George Bush gave a speech in which he expressed his dislike for the Simpsons, which he said, and we quote, we are going to keep on trying to make American families a lot more like the Waltons and a lot less like the Simpsons. So when he's saying Waltons, he means like the Walmart empire, the family, the Walton family. Honestly, I don't know. Come on, Dan. If you look up Sam Walton, he's the creator of Walmart, and he got his entire family on board for Walmart, and they all started working for him. And if you look up, like, top richest people in the world, all of Sam Walton's children are, like, 50-something billion, 60-something billion. So pretty much he's trying to say make family successful and not crazy like The Simpsons, I guess. Yeah. functional. So... The family has over $200 billion. The Walton family fortune is broken down as such. So when the father passed away, this is how much the people got. Jim Walton got $66.9 billion. Alice Walton got $66 billion. Robinson Walton got $65.7 billion. Lucas Walton got $16.7 billion. Niece and nephews got like $9.1 billion, $8.2 billion, and $8 billion. Damn. Grandson got $16.7 billion. Man. Good night, man. That's crazy. That's a lot of cheese. So Alice Walton, the daughter of Sam, she inherited, of course, her $66 billion, and she is now the second richest woman in the world. Damn, second. Who's the first? I think it's Oprah, isn't it? Oh. Let's look. Richest woman in the world. Frances Myers with $73.6 billion. Oh, she created L'Oreal. Oh. That makes sense. Where's Oprah? Is she not on the list? She has to be up there, though, at least. Oprah's not on the list. Let's see. Oprah net worth. She's only got $2.5 billion. She's not on that list. It's because she keeps giving stuff away. You get a car. You get a billion. No, but uh, another thing I found out that uh, George Bush's wife actually said something about the Simpsons, about how like bad the family was. And I guess the person that uh, voices Marge decided to write the you know first lady a uh, letter like apologize or like saying something about like her family whatever just pretending to be marge and then the first lady bush actually like apologized just like i'm sorry for my loose tongue talking about the family of the simpsons or whatever i'm just like what (laughs) the drama between the simpsons an animated cartoon and the president of the united states crazy right so not only was it president george bush but also his wife as well getting into it damn they must really hated the simpsons man yeah All right, so I guess that takes us into theories now and discuss the possibilities as to what could really be going on here. All right, so this first theory that we're going to start off with today is called shooting in the dark. So this theory states that all of these predictions are just merely coincidences. Now, is there anything to kind of back this claim up? If you think about it, there kind of is. 
So how many episodes has the Simpsons show produced? 728, right? Yep. Which, that is an ass load of episodes. Now, statistically, the number of jokes that accurately predict future events is significantly lower when you compare it to the overall number of jokes the show has created in the total of 728 episodes. So with that many jokes, it makes the percentage of a prediction coming true higher. So it's like you're throwing tens of thousands of darts at a dartboard over the course of 30 years. Statistically, some of them are going to land on the bullseye. Yeah. So pretty much this theory is that, hey, they write a lot of jokes for this show. There's a lot of episodes. Some of them are going to come true or have, you know, have parallels and people will compare them and say, hey, I see the, you know, the connection and make connections where there isn't any. Yeah, I can see that actually being it because, I mean, like you said, I mean, there are a ton of predictions out there, but compared to the actual number of episodes they have, it's kind of low, I would say. Yeah. All right. So tell us about this next theory, Dan. All right, so this next theory is a pretty simple one and sort of like our previous one, but it's called Great Writers. Now, this theory is that there is no magic potion or ritual that is being done behind the scenes that is making the Simpson writers know what is going to happen next. Instead, these predictions come from the team's meticulous writing process as well as statistics. For example, many of the writers on The Simpsons are veteran comics. These comedians have a firm grasp on current news and know how to comically tell viewers what is going on in the world. Some of the well-known alumni who have written for the show includes Greg Daniels, who is well-known for his work on the TV show The Office, as well as Parks and Recreations, and even King of the Hill. Damn it, Bobby. <laughs> Damn it, Bobby. Now, other writers include Mike Scully, who had previously worked for SNL, and another one of the previous writers was actually Conan O'Brien. Of course, the Simpsons have had a ton of talented writers. Yeah, so there was something else we decided to look into, which was how difficult the writing process is for the Simpsons, and what we found out, it's super intense. For example, one part of the writing process involves sitting at a table and pitching a lot of jokes, around a thousand per episode, with only 50 of those jokes going into the actual script. That must be so disheartening, working on so many jokes, and then to have them all shot down or most of them being one of those writers and none of your jokes get into that this week maybe i will be next week i will have all the jokes so another thing that we found out while looking into this is that the simpsons episodes are actually written a year prior before they are shown on television this means that the writers are developing jokes that are intended to be relevant even with that gap of time in between so this could make it seem like the simpsons are kind of like telling the future kind i guess you know, because they kind of have to predict some of the stuff. Yeah. I mean, I can see this. Like, they do have great writers. A lot of the stuff's hilarious, and it does make it seem like they're predicting the future. Yeah. All right, Dan, tell us about this next theory. All right. So this next theory that we have is called Time Traveler. So this theory is that the creator of The Simpsons, Matt Groening, is a time traveler, and he drops hints of it in his episodes. Now, is there any proof of this theory? Well... The people who go with this theory state that the predictions on The Simpsons is enough proof of him being a time traveler. Not really proof. No. I want to see, like, his machine. Dude, if it's a Montauk chair, I'd be kind of excited to steal it, put it on mine. So there are some other things that people point at as proof. A lot of people mention that Matt's other show that's called Futurama 
that he actually admitted that he was a time traveler in that show. And if you don't know what Futurama is, it's, it's pretty much a very popular cartoon that Matt created. Yeah, it is. It's kind of funny. So this show, Futurama, is about a professional slacker named Philip J. Fry, who's cryogenically preserved for a thousand years and revived on December 31st, 2999. The cartoon follows Fry's adventures and the weird futuristic things that he encounters. Now, in an episode of Futurama, one of the characters, named Leela, is writing a kid's TV show. Instead of just coming up with the script for the TV show randomly, Leela decides to travel to another planet and write about what she sees there. And that ends up becoming her kid's show. Now, some say that Matt creating that episode of Futurama was him actually confessing to being a time traveler, that he travels to the future and uses that as an inspiration for his episodes. But that poses the question, why would a time traveler just go back and forth in time to create a cartoon? I don't know. That's a good question. Now, I've heard something that goes along with this theory, is that the Simpsons, like Matt Groening with the Simpsons, those are hints he lets up about like current events and stuff that's going to happen. But Futurama is actually his life story when he goes to the future. That's what I heard. Okay. All right. Which is quite interesting because uh, Philip J. Fry is, I think, named after his father, Philip. Okay. I've, I've only seen bits and pieces of Futurama. I've never watched a full episode, so. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it'd be of his life in the future, but. Mm. Okay. So I have something that I kind of want to connect with this time traveling thing, okay? All right. And it's going to seem a little out there. It's going to seem a little crazy, but I don't think this is that far off of what's really going on. So hear me out. You know Philip K. Dick, right? Yeah, Black Knight Satellite guy. Well, not Black Knight Satellite, also an author, but yes, he talks about Valis, which before it was called Black Knight Satellite, it was called Valis, okay? Okay. So if you don't know who he is, Philip K. Dick, he is my favorite author, and uh, I always talk about him. He wrote multiple books, such as Minority Report, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, and many more excellent books. Now, his mind was absolutely amazing because he was able to sit down and write these amazing science fiction books and have these ideas that nobody had ever thought of before. It was almost like he was seeing into the future, which is very weird because later on he actually mentions that. So let me tell you how that comes about. So in 1977, which was a few years before Philip K. Dick died, he ended up holding a press conference in France where he spoke to a crowd of reporters. And I know what you're thinking. What does Philip K. Dick have to do with The Simpsons or Time Travel or anything like that? Just stay with me here because it all connects, okay? I'm here with you. So during this speech that Philip made in 1977, he made some remarkable claims. Now I have a short audio clip of these claims that he made, and we're going to take a listen to that right now. We are living in a computer-programmed reality, and the only clue we have to it is when some variable is changed. We might reflexively reach for a light switch in the bathroom, only to discover that it was, always had been, in another place entirely. We might reach for the air vent in our car, where there was no air vent. A reflex left over from a previous present, and I will even say this, such an impression is a clue that in some past time point, a variable was changed, 
reprogrammed as it were, and that because of this, an alternative world branched off. A change had been made, but not in our present, had been made in our past. Evidently, such an alteration would have a peculiar effect on those persons involved. They would, so to speak, be moved back one square or several squares on the board game, which constitutes our reality. So that's just a part of his speech that he did in 1977. He was way ahead of his time, talking about us being in a computer simulation and that uh, these Mandela effects that he was talking about was a part of this computer simulation glitching out. Okay, so he would continue on with his speech and he made some additional claims and he stated that there was this device that was called Valis, which is short for Vast Active Living Intelligence System. Now, this Valis device, Philip stated, was a space-like probe that was orbiting around Earth's atmosphere. Valis was directly beaming information into his head. Philip then went on to claim that all of the information that he wrote about in his books and all of the stories that he told, they were all from visions that were beamed into his head from this satellite Valis that was orbiting Earth. So why do I mention this? Hear me out here. What if the creator of The Simpsons, you know, Matt Groening, he got the idea of the Simpsons beamed into his head. And then after that, Vallis decided, hey, let me beam information of the episodes of Simpsons down into all of the writers' heads. So I'm going to go a little bit on, I'm going to go out into a little bit of outfield with this claim, okay? What if Vallis is an AI system or aliens and that they're beaming these thoughts and ideas into human beings' brains to get them to do what they want. And they control what the Simpsons writers talk about and what the episodes are as a way to send a message to the people that are watching it. Because if you have to think, right, Matt knew the people at Apple. Somehow, they created FaceTime, right? I'm thinking, what if the elites know that this device is out there, Valis, this artificial intelligence or this alien technology? they are able to tap into it, and that's where they get their ideas from. The way you described all that made me think that that's the real reason why they're, we're so into wanting to create AI, like uh, Google's AI, I think it was. Lambda. How they were thinking that it was starting to become uh, self-aware and all that. What if some of the creators, like, say, Matt Groening knows and some people at Google know of it, that they're actually trying to recreate Valis down here on Earth, then they would have access to all of that without having to wait for that information. Beam down of information, yeah. Yeah, they can have full access to it at all times. That's what they're doing at CERN. I mean, it could be. But that's where like, my mind was going, is like how they would like, know all this information. They're creating AI to get this information to know ahead of time instead of having to wait for it to be beamed down to them. Damn. I like it. I love it. Give me some more of it, Dan. I don't know. That, that's where my brain was going, and I kind of just stopped after that. I'm just like, <laughs> But no, it's interesting, and... It's fun to think about, right? It's fun to think that there's some like ancient technology that's out there that's beaming down information. And part of me kind of wants to lean towards that. Because to be honest with you, sometimes I have ideas that I have no idea where they came from. They just automatically pop up into my head. I mean, we all get those where all of a sudden we get an idea, then if you don't hang on to it, it disappears. And then 
then you have like this deja vu of when someone else create that that idea and you're just like i had that idea first yeah and great example of that would be coming up for the name of this podcast just sitting there just thinking and thinking and thinking and thinking and then tossing out names and then one name gets said theories of the third kind and it just appeared you know yeah it's a good name i like it all right so let's get into personal thoughts and theories dan what is your opinion about this entire thing oh my opinion so i i wouldn't say that any of them are time travelers i hate to say it, i think they just have a very good imagination with really good writers who takes context of things happening and actually makes it into an episode and then you think like i'll say it, i don't really watch the news anymore so if the only thing i did watch or like came up was like the simpsons then i see it on there then it happens in real life i'm gonna be like oh shit did did they predict it i mean that's because that's honestly you think that's where i'm getting my news from then which we talked about that earlier how you know it's kind of like an animated news station almost now they're giving the news that uh they're that's being talked about so i don't i wouldn't say that they're like time travelers or they're actually predicting they're just they're taking what context out of the news and stuff like that and actually putting it into their episodes to make it more relatable to what's going on in the world okay i respect your opinion you're gonna decline but i'm gonna decline <laughs> let me hear it all right so this is what i think and i am 25 75 i'm gonna tell you my 25 percent belief right now okay which is it's valis there's some extraterrestrial thing that is beaming down information to select people and you got to like reach out to it and then it gives you the information that you want. That's my 25%. Okay. My, that would be my 25% because it's not picking me as much as I wanted to. So my 75% would be viral marketing. As we were looking into these examples, a lot of them could be easily explainable as in a lot of the media outlets pushed the wrong narrative. And it's like, why? Would these reputable news stations, these reputable websites, some of these reputable people report about these so-called predictions, you could easily see, hey, that's not the case. Or easily explained off as in like the year prior, Trump had announced his presidency, you know, and that's why they wrote about it then. I think that the Simpsons, they figured out viral marketing as in say, hey, that's the way to get people to talk about us is we have this stigma attached to us that we predict the future. That way, people will continue to watch our episodes because they think we're Nostradamus. And it keeps the people's attention, keeps the people watching. We are the predictors of the future. I can see that. I can see that. And I truly think that's like the 75% of me that's like, it's just all viral marketing for them. We're helping them out right here by doing an episode about it. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I do like The Simpsons. They're funny. Yeah, I haven't watched Simpsons in a long time. It's been a while, but I've seen like episodes here and there. Yeah, but that's what I'm going to go with. Is there anything else you want to talk about or mention about the Simpsons predictions before we roll into our on the scene for this week? Uh, yeah, I mean, like we said earlier, we are going to do a part two, more than likely, because there are a ton of predictions. And honestly, my thoughts on it could change the more we get into it. Yeah. I mean, as of right now, that's that's my thinking on it. So Yeah, I, I agree 100% there with you, Dan. Uh, as we look into it more, my thoughts might change as well. I'm not stuck and solidified in one position. Yeah, so, hey, if y'all have a prediction that's really convincing, email me and Aaron. Change our minds about it. That's what I like. Is I want y'all to interact. Change my mind about it. Show me the proof. Show us the proof. Yep. All right, well, if you or a loved one have watched an episode of The Simpsons, 
and uh, you're like, hey, they predict the future in this episode, send an email to Aaron at theoriesofthethirdkind.com and Dan at theoriesofthethirdkind.com. We would love to hear about it. Send it. All right. So that's the end of the episode today. So now we're going to get into our on the scene. Now, if you don't know what our on the scene is, it is where a listener submits a audio interview that they have conducted and they could interview themselves, family members, random people on the street, anybody, and they get their opinions on current conspiracy happenings. Now, anyone can do this. That means you, yes, you, the person that's listening to this, can do it. Just get your phone, record the audio, make sure it's less than two minutes long, make sure the audio is decent. I mean, it doesn't have to be perfect, but don't have like a train in the background, you know, or like a trash truck, trash truck, yeah, anything like that. Don't have that in the background. But besides that, we're pretty lenient on the audio. I can clean up some stuff. But uh, yeah, after you have your two-minute audio, you can send it to Dan at theoriesofthethirdkind.com and Aaron at theoriesofthethirdkind.com. And make sure in the subject line you put on the scene. And we will take your recording and we will stick it in line to play whenever it gets up there because we currently have like a list of on the scenes that we have to go down of people who submit theirs. That's right. But hey, don't let this sway you from not submitting one. You submit one now, a couple weeks from now, you'll be listening to yourself. Just don't make it too inappropriate either. Um, yeah, no moaning, nothing like that. All right, so this week's On the Scene is from Charlie. He bit my finger. Ow, Charlie. We're going to play that right now. Hello, my name is Charlie. Uh, I am rhythm guitarist and lead vocalist for Age of Discovery. Uh, today I'm going to start a topic which is a ghost story. Um, it happened in my own personal life. So within my old house we used to have motion detectors for a alarm system. Um, my dad came out of the bathroom one day and he heard a whisper in his ear so he froze completely still for a few minutes. Um, he then looked up at the motion sensor and saw that it kept going off even though he was stood completely still. So that was the first scary event. Um, but then it, get, it got worse when I actually experienced something where I was laying in bed um, and I heard deep breathing outside my door. Um, and then it was only later that I'd done some research on the property and found out that the pub across the road used to be a prison and the house was built on the gallows so we believe it fully to be haunted um, and other people on the estate have had stories as well. Uh, a second topic is Hollywood and corruption so I believe that there is corruption in Hollywood um, with the government possibly having involvement. The reason I think this is because um, when you think about it Men in Black is a film which is based on the conspiracy theory of Men in Black, so I believe the governments have some sort of involvement with the writers um, to essentially mock the theory to try and take the attention away from the actual theory. Uh, that's my on the scene. Thank you very much. Uh, keep up the good work. I love the show. Well, I do have to say there, Charlie, you got a very pleasant voice there. Nice. Well, thank you for your on the scene this week. His band, Age of Discovery, great name for a band. That is actually a really great name. 
and his cover art for the band. I was just looking at it as he was talking. Pretty sweet cover art, I gotta say. What is that called? Revive Her. I guess that's his first album. Sweet, man. Keep rocking in the free world. Hell yeah. What'd you think about that, uh, his ghost story? The breathing outside the door? That somebody was baiting outside his door, man. See, that's what I was going to say, that usually if I hear it, that slickers in my walls, you know, breathing heavily. But, you know, other than that, I don't know. I don't think about no ghost like that. Yeah, well, why would a ghost be breathing to begin with? That's true. Maybe it's somebody that was walking by that kind of had PTSD from when it was a prison. And they had to, like, stop and catch their breath because they were breathing so hard and having flashbacks. I don't know. I don't know. Weird stories, but thank you for sharing them with us. And I do want to say I agree with you about Hollywood. They're all up to some weird stuff in there. You know, when you get to that high up level, there are some really weird things that are going on. And uh, I I do think that they want to keep the population's attention away from what they're doing. Oh, definitely. I mean, a, a good example of this would be um, uh, Bohemian Grove. Bohemian Grove and that uh, one group uh, where he, like, he actually uh, marked the women. Branded? Yeah, branded the women. Um, Nexium? Yeah, like in order to, do, I guess, become famous or whatever, you had to do whatever they said, get branded. Sad world. It is. And if you look at Jared Leto, I think he's part of a cult now. I think he's a cult leader. Jared Leto, cult leader. I'm not much of a Jared Leto fan anyway. He was cool, like, back in the day, but now he's become, like, a self-absorbed, pompous ass. Oh, yeah, he's got a cult. There's a picture of him sitting on a stool in an all-white gown looking like Jesus, and there's probably 200 girls in white shirts all sitting on the ground below him, listening to him talk. That's not, like, some album art or anything? That's actually... No, that's that's real. You know, he's probably... (laughs) Do you feel like a man? You think he's singing that to her? Is that that song? Do they sing that? I have no idea. <laughs> you feel like a man when you push her. No, that was a red jumpsuit apparatus. My bad. 30 wow. seconds to Mars, red jumpsuit apparatus, emo. Get it mixed up. Yeah. All right. Again, thank you, Charlie. Love you. Proud of you. Yeah, much love. Appreciate the on the scene. All right. So now we are going to go into shout outs. So, Dan, you want to start off with regular shout outs and then... I'll do my regular shout-outs, and then you'll do birthday shout-outs that you have, and then I'll do my birthday shout-outs. Yep, that works. Okay. All right, so I don't have that many for just normal shout-outs. This is just from Facebook. I haven't taken any from Instagram or anything else yet. But first shout-out goes to Chase Patterson, then Melanie Jade, Max McDonald, Mikolaj, Ruder Watts, Roger Klein, Victoria Purvis, and Rocky McCray. That's all I have. Short and sweet. Nice. Well, I have two shout-outs. First one goes to Avery Uruguay. Says, hey, man, I kind of want to start my own podcast, but I'm trying to focus on YouTube right now. Keep whooping ass on your podcast. Well, thank you. Uh, Good luck on the podcast venture. It's hard, but it's worth it. Totally. So my next shout-out goes to Tony Lopez. He sent me and you an email, and then he also sent us a gift, but it was to my email. Or it's an audiobook of the Last Hunter Collected Edition audiobook. I think I saw that email. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. He didn't have to send us anything, but thank you. Yeah, definitely appreciate it. Also, he said, I'm in the Austin area, too. Y'all ever want to meet up and grab a drink? I'll be down. So, yeah, he'd be down for a drink. Hell, yeah. That'd be sweet. We're actually thinking about doing, like, a meetup later this year in Austin. 
It's not going to be something like you have to pay tickets to like it was for that True Crime Festival. It's just going to be like a show up, grab a drink, get some free stuff, and shake our hands. All right, so that's it for my regular shout-outs, just two of them. So what do you got for birthday shout-outs? All right, so first birthday shout-out I got is to a Caden Brodal. His birthday was September 10th. I got the email, I think, on the 10th. So happy birthday to Caden. Then, see, Matthew McDade, his birthday was July 12th, and I missed his birthday. So this is a belated happy birthday. Then, let's see, his sister's birthday, I believe, is September 20th, Ashley Ellington. And this is the one that uh, one of the Jim Bro talk, which I'm not sure how to do Jim. Hold on, I'm going to have to look that up. Jim Bro talk. What is that? Examples. Bro, you're looking boss swole after that bulk and dog. Time for some suns out, guns out. You're aesthetic. You're looking like a fucking Donkey Kong up in that hoe. You're going to be tossing around some barrels, bitch. Oh, wait, is this a girl or a guy? Oh, you're not looking like fucking Donkey Kong. You're looking cut, G. Dick skin shredded, my girl. Happy birthday. There you go. <laughs> then last birthday shout out goes to Shelly from DFW, Dallas-Fort Worth. Her birthday is on September 19th. So happy birthday to Shelly, Caden, and Matthew, and, of course, Ashley. Happy birthday. And that is it. All right. So I got a couple birthday shout-outs. My first one goes to Eric Pointer. He said, I'm a Patreon supporter. My birthday is September 20th, and I would like a Metallica-style song from Dan. All right. Take it away with the Metallica-style, Dan. Sleep with one eye open. I'm gonna whisper in your ear, happy birthday. My <laughs> God. All right. Uh yeah. Happy birthday, Eric. That sounded very uh stalkerish and creepish. I'm sorry, but first song I picked. All right. Uh so our next birthday shout out goes to Amy S. She said, Hi Aaron. I love TOT3K. I would like a birthday shout out. It's on September 19th. Thank you. Amy S. Okay, well, Amy, hey, I'm proud of you. I love you. And happy birthday. I hope it's a good one. And I hope you get everything you ever dreamed of. Happy birthday. All right. So next birthday shout out goes to Andrea. Hi, guys. I was wanting a shout out for my birthday. It's September 23rd and I'll be 34. Oh, my God. You're old as shit. I'm just kidding. I'm the same age. I'm 34. Damn, I'm 33. Right, right there with us. She goes, my name is Andrea, and I'm such a freaking fan. Yes, I was born on the same awesome year as you, Aaron. I've been listening to you guys since March. I'm a Patreon member, and honestly, I've listened to almost all episodes at least once, some three to four times, like all regular and Patreon episodes. Damn, that is a lot. She goes, I hate podcasts. I can't stand most, but you guys are the shit. I don't know how I stumbled upon you guys, but I feel like the universe was calling me to you. I won't make you sing, but happy birthday to this bitch. <laughs> happy birthday to that bitch right there. Yeah. Happy, happy birthday to that bitch, Andrea. With respect. Put some respect on her name. Okay? Saying that in the respectfully way. Happy birthday. I hope it's a good one. Love you. Proud of you. That's right. Happy birthday. All right. So the last birthday shout out goes to Brayden M. He said, hey, my two favorite podcasters. September 20th is my birthday. And I was hoping you guys would harmonize a happy birthday for me. I fell in love with your podcast last year, and I listened to them while I'm at work. Thank you guys for keeping it fresh. Love you and proud of you. Harmonize. Ready? Happy, happy birthday, birthday to you. Woo! 
the ego that's all you getting. Happy birthday, Braden. All right. Well, that's all the birthday shout outs we have and all the regular shout outs. Do you have anything else you want to add to this episode today before we roll it out? Nope. I'm good. All right. Well, I want to thank you all for joining us today. And again, thank you for your support. You are all amazing. Every single one of you. So with that being said, Dan, you want to roll us out? Sure will. It's okay to be out of this world with your thoughts. Because you are not alone.